Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter. Words Matter, which you know is one of the great pods around because it features the uh, one and only Norm Ornstein. How are you doing, Norm? I am hanging in, persevering, David, under these uh, difficult conditions in our country. Yeah, he said, I'm David. I'm David Roscoff, by the way, but I'm just a guest here and a fly on the wall because I like to hear their conversations. Uh, And of course, Norm is joined each and every week here by Dr. Kavita Patel. How are you doing, Kavita? I am so happy the three of us have had a reunion. So I am Truly, my emotional state is like a 10 out of 10 just for this pod. So listeners, beware. We're, oh, we're in uncharted territory. Let's see what we can do about that, Norm. <laughs> we'll revisit her emotional state in 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it'll be one out of 10. Because yeah, we're here to talk about what's going on in uh, Washington, one of the most dysfunctional places um, that that you know in in the world, and we could talk about a lot. Looks like Ukraine aid is dying on the vine up on the hill, so we'll probably lose in Ukraine, and Russia will win. Looks like the governor of Texas is ignoring the Constitution and imposing his own national security and and foreign policy, and keeping the federal government out of the border despite a Supreme Court ruling. And the Speaker of the House supported him in doing this, uh, saying he's he backs him. So do a bunch of crazy Congress people like Representative Chip Roy, who's one of the looniest of the Looney Tunes out there. Um, uh, the Congress isn't, of course, getting anything done of any sort, uh, except, uh, you know, there are some conversations about trying to impeach Joe Biden for nothing. But you know something? None of these things are the worst news. The worst news is that somehow, <laughs> apparently, and but neither of you guys will believe this because you're rational people, despite 91 felony counts, four indictments, two impeachments, 
being called a rapist by one judge and a fraudster by another, betraying the country, leading a coup, supporting the Russians. And 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 I'll be interested in your views on this, Kavita. And deteriorating mentally before our very eyes. Donald Trump not only won the New Hampshire primary, but then every single living Republican on earth lined up behind him. He has more diverse, unanimous support from within the Republican Party than he has ever had, even though we know he was the worst president in U.S. history and is a threat to democracy. And that's where we are right now. Meanwhile, over at the Biden administration, there's been a big turnover in the Biden campaign, which is not a sign that they think it's going super well. So, Kavita, how you feeling now? I'm trying. To, look, I'm so happy you're here, David. I'm I'm still a ten out of ten, maybe nine point five out of ten. Yeah, we'll see okay, how much you can <laughs> see how much you and Norm can wear me down. I'm going to say something about the campaign first and foremost because you're right. Not only was there the very public visible action of like the announcement of Jenna Malley Dillon coming in, but everybody who's worked on a campaign, the three of us who have advised campaigns, knows that that's just you know that's that iceberg. That's just what we're seeing above the water, knowing that there's an incredible amount that's going on below the water. And I'll just add to that in the spirit of you know, Washington, D.C. being a small place, um, people who are very close to the governor of Michigan, who are also emphasizing she's not the only governor, but she is one of the most prominent kind of, you know, allies and obviously an important state, and that she has made personal calls, not just to the president, but kind of down the rung to try to say, you know, mayday, mayday, not, hey, can we do these tweaks? Um, So this is And then I'll just, something that I like to give listeners a little bit of like the behind the scenes, some of the problem that occurs here, whatever we may think about, um, you know, Julie Rodriguez, Jen O'Malley, Dylan, all of these people whose names don't mean so much. The real power isn't the person just in charge. It's actually their ability to attract talent into the campaign. So you, you, so you can have a campaign manager. I'm not saying any of these women are incompetent. But you can have a campaign manager that might not be the best business person, might not be the best data person, might not be the best fundraiser. They need to be able to bring and attract talent in. And I don't know if we have seen proof of that yet. And I think that's actually probably the campaign's biggest problem. In contrast to what I'm hearing, and it'd be interesting if the two of you are, you know, ears to the ground, you have a candidate who is not just, you know, mentally unstable, and we can talk about all the criteria he's met for that. But he has no problem, not just not just leaning in to his misogyny, but parading it and boosting. You're, you're, you're talking about the other candidate now, the correct? Other, yes, the other yes, candidate. You're talking yes. about Donald Trump. I just want to be clear. I'm sorry. I do need to say <laughs> Donald Trump. I'm sorry. If I made that unclear, I am so sorry. So he, so he. So what's disturbing is that I have been hearing kind of, you know, firsthand, but people who are involved in the Trump campaign describing the discipline they're trying to use. Now, granted, their candidate is undisciplined, but that combination of whatever is happening that Trump seems to still be getting Republicans to line up, including Ron DeSantis, that you that 
you add that with a campaign that it can actually raise money. I will, and then I'll stop talking, but I'm curious to hear how both of you react to the fact that the majority of what he's raised so far in funds doesn't seem to be coming from small donors or his MAGA base. I think I counted, it's like a handful of less than 10 big donors. Does that mean anything at all? Well, let me ask you one question before we go over to Norm, who will whittle your mood down to nothing yeah, in no time. I know. But, right. um, but, but um, wh- what do you hear in the grapevine about the Trump campaign? Is it a mess or is it doing well? No, hearing, so two things. One, that they've kind of decided let Trump be Trump and not trying to figure out because you can't put, you can't put boundaries around him. So what I'm hearing, and it, and I asked very clearly, is this coming from Jared Kushner? Is this coming from Steve, you know, where is this coming from? And here's what's interesting. This time around, everybody, I mean, the family is still very central, but they have kind of brought in, so to speak, more professional campaign people who are not interested in anything Donald Trump has to say, but just interested in in holding Republican power and that they're much more experienced with digital, all the things that, you know, Trump never had in 2016. So I am hearing that this is a more legitimate and well-run campaign. Take that for what it's worth, because I think the comparator is, you know, if if you're comparing to rotten apples, anything looks good. So it's hard to know. I will say this, that like if Biden doesn't, kind of turn things around. And again, as I mentioned, like it's not the campaign manager who leads, it's who that person brings in. If that doesn't turn around quickly, the only thing that can save Biden is a strong financial performance. If the S&P and the stocks and I mean, you know this, David, that like in the history, what since like 19th century, we haven't elected a president if the stock market has kind of been in decline in that quarter leading up to the election. So I think that's the only way to overcome this, short of you know Biden himself tearing apart the infrastructure, which we, which we know he will not do. So, well, Norm. <laughs> so first, uh, some good news, which will bring Kavita back up to a ten before we bring her down to zero. Uh, and uh, I, there are a couple of areas I think of good news. One is the economy. We have three point three percent growth with inflation uh, basically uh, coming down uh, to a reasonable level. There is every sign that we can have a robust economy through 2024, and we're starting to see some signs of a public uh, optimism. Uh, Consumer confidence is going up. This is a big deal. Um, whether it lasts, we don't know, but that's yeah. And the I day think, that we were uh, talking about news, this, uh, out there. we got the report on on last year's GDP growth, and it was three point three percent up, right? So that's really substantial. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very good news. I think the other good news is at least when you look at uh, and dissect the votes that we have seen in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, the voters that went to uh, Nikki Haley in both places include a lot of independents and Republicans who say that they voted for Haley more because they can't stand Trump and couldn't vote for him in the fall. Now, whether that holds true in this tribal environment, um, I don't know for sure. But there are signs of weakness for Trump. And if you think of Trump as the equivalent of an incumbent president running for renomination, getting 50% in Iowa, 55% in New Hampshire, 
would normally be seen as signs of very significant weakness. And for Joe Biden, having spurned New Hampshire, the Democratic Party uh, deciding that they didn't want to make it the first uh, primary in the country, not being on the ballot and being a write-in and getting 70% uh, there and a fairly robust uh, vote suggests that Democrats are going to rally around Biden. None of that takes away from uh, a campaign that needs very serious uh, work. Well, but Norm, Norm, Gretchen Whitmer wasn't calling the White House because things are looking good in Michigan, right? Because right? in Dearborn, Michigan, they care about the Middle East policy in a way that's a problem, right? And there are other states where young voters care about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's a issue. So that's where we make the uh, pivot uh, to the not so good news. Um, certainly, uh, you know, elections rarely become foreign policy elections. I fear that it will be very significant this time around. We can talk more about uh, Bibi Netanyahu, his uh, the neo-Nazis in his cabinet, uh, the issues going on there. And maybe that will turn around. But certainly Biden is suffering at both ends there. He is going to suffer, as he has already, with many young progressives and with the Arab American votes, which are very significant in Michigan. And when he inevitably, we're just starting to see the little inching away from Netanyahu. And Netanyahu has already moved significantly from Biden, who uh, gave him an enormous lifeline at the beginning of this uh, war in Gaza. Um, he may lose some support uh, from those who are staunch supporters of Israel. I want to mention- David, I want to, Norm, David, just to underscore something, yeah. January 11th, I pulled this up, um, the Washington Post, Dylan Wells, who's a very good reporter on this, actually had a, a statistic. Political ads had used the word border 1,300 times since the start of the year, more than in any kind of index, same time, same place before an election in history. And I think you add to that Greg Abbott basically saying Texas will not surrender in the Rio Grande. And there's nothing, like nothing coming from the Biden <laughs> like nothing coming from the Biden Well, actually, on that. To, just <laughs> let me add to that. There is a, because I wrote a column on this, which is going to be in the Daily Beast today, but um, Donald Trump has been very explicit to his party. He does not want an immigration deal, right? Because he wants to run on those border issues. And you know, cynical as that is, you know, I don't right. want to make progress on the border because I want to run on how little progress there is on the border. Everybody in his party has said yes, sir, including Mitch McConnell. Yes, Mitch. Yeah. Mitch uh, basically surrendered yesterday, and it's clear that the Republicans had a, you know, their uh, lunch, uh, the Senate Republicans, and it turned into a, uh, a shouting fest with the radicals like uh, Mike Lee and J.D. Vance uh, and Ron Johnson screaming at McConnell, and McConnell, McConnell surrendered. Uh, basically on the border. But even before that, Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, had said as the Senate was getting close to a kind of deal where the Biden administration had conceded an enormous amount to the Republicans on the border, 
that he wouldn't take up any border deal until Trump was president. Now, I want to add one other thing, David, that we should just keep in mind. And uh, I was reminded of this in a column that uh, my friend Dennis Aftergut wrote uh, today uh, on Taiwan. Trump basically gave China a green light to invade Taiwan. And we know why that is. And it's basically very little different than him saying in 2016, Russia, if you're listening. It is China, if you are listening, interfere in this election. Put as much of a finger on the scales as you can to elect me, and you're going to get the prize you've been waiting for for many decades. So we've got uh, issues out there in the uh, foreign policy world. We have foreign actors who are going to be eager, and that includes, uh, I would say, Netanyahu, who would love to have Trump back as president, who would put no constraints on him or his cabinet. there are foreign actors who are going to do what they can to help uh, Donald Trump uh, in this case. And, you know, I'm just wondering, what will Joe Biden do now that uh, Greg Abbott has basically dared him to send federal troops to Texas to engage in what could be a violent confrontation with the Texas National Guard which is under his control, to remove the uh, razor wire from the river and to take control of that part of the border. And if he doesn't do that, if he blinks, if he lets Greg Abbott basically say to the Supreme Court, up yours, I'm going to do what I want to do, that's a sign of weakness that is really, really troubling and not something that's going to give you a sense that we have a strong, tough leader in the White House. Yeah, that's absolutely true. By the way, you know, there is a precedent for handling governors like this, Orville Faubus in 1956, uh, yep. decided to ignore Brown v. Board of Education, and that radical Dwight Eisenhower sent in the 101st Airborne Division to assert the primacy of federal authority and to ensure that the schools were integrated as the courts dictated they must be. Uh, And frankly, you know, if Biden doesn't do that, it sends a really bad message to other governors, right? I mean, can you imagine, Kavita, how, you know, if he doesn't do that, you know, what does Ron DeSantis do next? What do some of these other governors do next? It's it's clear. They just start ignoring the federal government and saying, well, the federal government has failed, so I have a responsibility you know, to uh, to come up with my own foreign policy, border policy. Now, now let me throw let me throw another yeah. kind of boomerang. I don't know whatever the analogy is into the mix because at the same time, I will commend the Biden campaign for putting out. And if you haven't seen it, um, it's the ad of, with, with a Texas OBGYN talking about how she could not obtain the abortion. And it basically yeah. like the ad went something like you know because of Donald Trump overturning Roe v. Wade. You know, she said basically that like the state of Texas where I practice took away my choice and put my own life in danger. And I, and I know that Kamala Harris is doing, I think they need to give it another, like they do need a little bit more help with their marketing and branding. It's like the reproductive health tour. And I think that just makes it so polite and sanitized. It needs to be the like, you know, put the fear of God because 
you know, basically it's like Handmaid's Tale and like Donald Trump is controlling well, it your needs to uterus. Be, it needs to be something like get the fuck out of my uterus. Tour. That's the thing. That's what you I know, mean. We like, need, there needs we to need, be we like clear language. I, I you know, agree. We, like, yeah. You know, we should turn to <laughs> we should turn to for that uh, Nicholas so, Sturgeon. I don't know if you followed the news today. Oh, not, yes. But, but, but her WhatsApps <laughs> about her colleagues in the government yep. have been released. And I'm just going to give you three of them and then we'll move on. But she described Matt Hancock as weaker than a nun's piss. She described former Prime Minister Liz Truss as about as much use as a marzipan dildo, which is, I mean, brilliant, and (laughs) referred to Suella Braverman as Schittler, um, uh, uh, you know, plus some less creative things we need people we need politicians who talk straight right it, but that's like a you know you gotta look i gotta commend like the campaign did something okay let's give them praise for that they should because m- majority of americans agree with biden on this right and then you have kamala harris who like you know let like you know i think the three of us have all agreed that we have tried very hard to like illustrate this woman is not only capable all the things that you want in a commander in chief here's like the one issue that you know she like gets animated about she, this is her base she's even doing a, t- a tour but they call it the like reproductive health tour and it's like a bunch of planned parenthood people coming the night yeah. before they need to shake the masses and like get people angry like it can't be you know so, so anyway so I, <laughs> I have two I I have two suggestions yes. for the oh, White House on this. If you were front, speaking, and then uh, Joe, uh, if you were back. talking to both Joe Biden and is, Jeff Sines, what would you tell them to do? Yeah, I would. I want mm-hmm. Joe Biden to travel to Texas uh-huh. to meet with the woman in that ad, mm-hmm. and go do it right from Texas. Yeah. And while you're down there, take on Greg Abbott. The second thing I want Biden to do on this front is to bring to the White House and meet at the White House with. OBGYNs who have been in the operating room and basically told you either violate your Hippocratic oath or you're going to prison. Some who have left states where they're leaving women without any health care. Families of 10-year-olds raped and forced to carry uh, their fetuses to term. Women with ectopic pregnancies, serious miscarriages who almost bled to death personalize it in that way beyond just an ad and may use the bully pulpit in that fashion. Then going back. Well, it was announced, it was announced yesterday that Kate Cox, the woman at the center of one of these high profile Texas abortion cases would be invited to the state of the union address in March. So again, right instinct. But that's too late. Like this, I agree. You I want agree. to show that you're confronting, go to Texas and talk about what the Texas okay, law was all about and what it's doing. And then I want the Justice Department to indict Greg Abbott. And, you know, in a perfect world, they would indict uh, uh, DeSantis for kidnapping. But Take on these people who are breaking the law. And Greg Abbott is an accessory to murder because having the Texas Guard there and the wire there, not letting the Border Patrol get down, meant that a young woman with two small kids drowned in the river because they wouldn't let anybody get there to try to save them. 
I mean, we've got all kinds of issues. I want a president who shows that he's a fighter and not just by, you know, putting out a clever ad. Uh, so that's my soapbox moment for this. Yeah, I, that, I, you are so right, Norm. And Kavita's 10 out of 10 a mood just as inexplicable to me. I'm now I'm still I'm excited. I want I want Norm. I say that uh, the next. No, I think this is great. This is Norm. This is what we honestly. When I saw the reproductive health tour, I was like, "This is insane!" Like you need to. People are angry. Yeah. Your your visibility needs to match that degree of anger, and so that's and and I know it's a nuanced thing. You don't want to look like the president's chasing um, any sort of headlines, but he's not. I mean, this is like a very. He's got the ability. The one thing he has as a sitting president is that bully pulpit. And yeah. you're a hundred percent right, Norm. No matter where he goes, the cameras will follow, the press pool will follow, and with it will be every headline covering that. And I don't know why we're doing it with like a reproductive health train well, tour. But I, you know, yeah. it also misses the point of the Trump age. Donald Trump has done everything wrong, has no good ideas, his every instinct is a crime. But he offers unvarnished lunacy in a way that the media can't help but cover it. So he's getting constant coverage. You know, the reason he shows up at trials, you would think he'd run in the other direction. Why does he show up? So that he can do something crazy at the trial. Why does that work? Because it'll get attention, and he knows that with his base, it'll get spun like he's a hero. But you know, if 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 you you know one if one candidate is showing up in, in as Fifty Shades of Grey, and I don't mean that in the exciting literary way, um, but the but and, and the other one is showing up in Living Color, you got a problem. Well, the Fifty Shades of Grey is the uh, chairman <laughs> of the Republican Party in uh, Florida, or uh, uh, Chancellor, <laughs> or it's the uh, oh my God. well, it's or the Chancellor Simpsons. of the University of Wisconsin, but that's a whole other. Yeah, well, you could, you know, if we started to list all of the uh, Republicans, including uh, fundamentalist uh, preachers who have engaged in uh, sexual misconduct, we'd we'd have yeah, a well, podcast that would go on all day. Podcast. We should just exclusively just devoted, <laughs> yeah, just exclusively devoted to Republican sexual misconduct. Although, really. Would be the most disgusting podcast in the history of the world. So I have a question, David, because you're <laughs> you always Norm does too. But I feel like the reason and, and uh, the reason we love you and your Daily Beast articles and your pod is because you also have this deft ability to balance with the foreign kind of kind of policy issues. We talked about Ukraine. We've talked about the Middle East. How do like normal country like what are people kind of uh, the reason i bring this up is that i was gone to london over the winter break and i'm not kidding so many people said oh where are you from and i said doesn't my accent give it away i'm i'm you know from the united states and they said well we didn't want to insult you if you you were canadian you know they were like there's now kind of the like backlash and and people are <laughs> like oh hey you, you know we hear trump is going to win like he's going to take it and and i'm just curious like the kind of what's your sense of you know what's the what's the like g7 leadership you know modi is doing a, a jig like he's ecstatic but what are what are other kind of leaders doing or thinking about this if you're rishi sunak right you're just you're playing out the economy you're dealing with the fact that his country's crippling energy infrastructure 
what what's what do you make out of that effect on on kind of the geopolitical stability of our of our country? Well, I mean, everybody's de- you know dealing with it. There, there was a story um, uh, yesterday or the day before that uh, the headline I can read it for you is Canada is preparing for a second Trump presidency. Trudeau says Trump quote represents uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've heard um, uh, leaders in, in NATO uh, say the same thing. There's been a lot of talk recently that if the U.S. drops the ball on Ukraine that uh, UK and and France and others are going to have to uh, step up. Uh, But of course, some countries have their own problems uh, and they're not unrelated. You know, you say Modi is supportive of this. There is a move on the right. uh, And there have been massive demonstrations in Germany because the Germans still seem to care about their politics against the rise of the far right AFD party there. Um, because Germany knows what happens when these far right parties take control. Uh, they've they've been there before, and uh, you know one of the things that's really quite striking here is not you know the language of the Biden campaign. It's that Americans are not in the streets. It's that Americans don't take this seriously. We are ten months away from the potential end of democracy from a president who said, I'm going to throw my opponents in jail, who yesterday, yesterday, said that if Nikki Haley continues to run against her, him, he will launch investigations into her and bring out things she doesn't want to have come out. He's turning on his own people, you know, and, and, and you know, what Greg Abbott is doing or DeSantis is doing or whatever. You would think that we would have a million women marching for reproductive rights, as you like to refer to them, in Washington, D.C., every Saturday. You would think that, you know, I, I can name a hundred other kinds of groups, and we don't. The American public is strangely sonambulant here, or am I overstating that? No, that's a medical diagnosis. You're, no, you're not overstating it. Um, I do think uh, we have these trials looming, and the dynamic around Trump could change, uh, including the coverage of him, uh, if and when we get convictions. And obviously, we could spend uh, a whole podcast on the uh, machinations around these trials and the delays. It is um, troubling that the D.C. Circuit panel, which heard the immunity case, uh, Trump demanding, uh, you know, total immunity, which he continues to talk about, and his lawyer saying that if uh, a President Trump called the Navy SEAL 6 uh, team and said, assassinate my opponent, that would be okay, Uh, that first it would require impeachment and removal. Why they haven't immediately taken that up, it's going to delay the trial in uh, Washington. Um, We know that there are delays now in Georgia. Um, you know, some of that dynamic may change, but the reality is that Trump is, without being convicted, in a media that only looks at the horse race and treats Trump not as a bizarre 
uh, uh, individual who will put people in concentration camps and invoke the Insurrection Act and bring out the military to shoot at protesters if he wins uh, election, who's calling for foreign individuals to help. It's all about, well, he's up, he's winning, here's what the polls show. So the public is not going to pay attention to this. And I will mention just one other, we've talked about the White House and the uh, Biden campaign. What about the Democratic Senate? Where are the hearings on the disasters occurring at the border the, uh, with, uh, uh, with Greg Abbott? Where are the hearings on the disasters over uh, women in the aftermath of Dobbs? Where are the hearings on Trump saying out loud that he gave favors in return for Chinese money uh, in, when he was president? Where are the hearings on Jared Kushner and his corrupt ties to Saudi Arabia and the Emirates that changed policy in return for money that was coming first to his family to bail them out and then to this ridiculous $2 billion fund that he has? You know, our Senate Democrats are asleep at the switch here as well. Not just Senate Democrats, but, you know, like former colleagues of Kavita's, like David Axelrod, who are afraid of offending. Yeah. The Republicans, you know, oh, no, we don't want to, you know, invoke the Constitution. It might hurt their feelings. I mean, what the hell? Look, this is the point where we in the podcast where we say, hey, everybody, uh, if you're a member, you get to listen to the rest of the podcast. And if you're not a member, you should become a member because it's obviously a great conversation. You want to listen to the rest of it. So what you should do is go to the DSR network, click on membership, become a member. It's $5 a month. It won't be $5 a month forever because on March 1st, it's going to go up. Uh, so now's the time to lock in that low, low rate and be able to hear all of our conversations. Operators um, are standing by. Uh, operators, yes. exactly. Uh, yeah, as they used to be 40 yeah. years ago when people did it that way. But um, uh, for now, if you are uh, not a member, bye-bye. And if you are a member, stand by.